So the teachings speak about realizing the nature of mind, nature of reality, about leaping free of the dualistic way of seeing the world, self and other. Wisdom and compassion. All of these ways of speaking about the Dharma, in essence, are the same. In our study of birth and death, this ongo, that's the same. It's pointing in the same direction asking the same questions, clarifying the same matter for the same purpose. In my early years, meeting the evening gatha every evening when I was first in training, And I wondered, what does my zazen have to do with the question of life and death? How is that being addressed in my zazen, following my breath? Calming my distracted mind. It said that because that which we seek is so very close, it's hard to to see. And even in seeing it, we often don't recognize it. We don't recognize what we're seeing. We see something, but we don't recognize it for what it is at a deeper level. And so in birth, there is coming into this life. In death, there is passing from this life. But if that's all it was, then we would have to wait until the end, whenever that might be, to study death. But fortunately, that's not the case. (laughs) Because it's non-dual, birth is happening everywhere, all the time. And what we call death is happening everywhere, all the time, and in the same place. And so we can think of birth as, or recognize birth as, each and every moment where something appears. Something is recognized, something is seen, perceived. And in that, it seems to come to us. wasn't there before. It's here now. And then at some point, it 
seems to pass away. It goes somewhere. It was here a moment ago. It's not here now. And so all of these teachings that are pointing to this seemingly very ordinary experience we have, inside and outside of ourselves, the teachings take that up and speak of it in the most in a very profound way. They can be difficult to understand. What are what are, what is even being spoken about in coming? No one has arrived in going. No one departs in entering into this life. Not a single speck is added in departing from this life. Nothing is taken away. And yet, something appears, and then it's gone. In the Buddha's path, wanting to be free from samsara, free from all that he experienced as not free, And then coming to his great enlightenment and then spending all of those years teaching. And then all the teachings that came down from that time and this emphasis in every generation on impermanence, on life and death, on the preciousness of human life, if we use it well, on the inevitability of death and all of the trouble that that seems to stir. (coughs) And so we examine the nature of life and death so that we can live and die. In order to do that, we have to see and encounter intimately and understand everything that seems to hold us back. Dogen said, if we search for a Buddha outside of birth and death, it's like trying to go south when we're pointing north. We're trying to see the Big Dipper when we're facing south. We will cause ourselves to remain all the more in birth and death and miss the way of emancipation. Understand that birth and death is itself nirvana, is itself liberation. There is nothing such as birth and death to be avoided. There is nothing such as nirvana to be sought. When we realize this, we are then free from birth and death. And it's this very birth and death, Dogen said, that is the life of a Buddha. If we try to exclude it, we lose that life of a Buddha. If we cling to it and try to remain in it, we also lose the life of a Buddha. And what remains is just the mere form, a semblance, an echo, a shadow. 
Only when we don't avoid birth and death or long for it do we enter the Buddha's mind. And so my aim in this intensive is for us to, together, turn towards these questions, these teachings, this reality that is within us at every moment, and to look at those, some of those sort of basic things that seem to show up and make what Dogen is saying is so close and our very nature seem far away and difficult. And one of the things that I'd like to use, in addition to some of these teachings we've been studying there in Nango, is <clears throat> a teaching called the Nine Contemplations of Atisha. Atisha was 11th century Indian master, Mahayana master, also important in Tibetan Vajrayana teachings. And he presented nine contemplations, things to reflect on. And so... Sometimes we, in these intensives, spend a lot of time on texts, teachings, going deep into those. And some of that this time around, but more um, sort of turning to our Zazen and contemplating, both directly and indirectly, some of these points that Atisha brings up to us and some of those matters that um, those concerns, those things that arise within us that arise in all kinds of situations. They're not unique to questions about life and death, but or maybe they are. And in every other moment when those concerns arise that don't seem to be about life and death, they are. Something we might consider. So in those nine contemplations, contemplations, Atisha says, first, all of us will die sooner or later. Our lifespan is continuously decreasing. Death comes whether we're prepared or not. Our lifespan, as is true of every living being, is not fixed. Death comes in many ways, has many causes. This human body that is dear to us is fragile and vulnerable. Those close to us cannot keep us from death, cannot prevent us from dying. At the moment of our death, all the things that we have in our lives will be of little use. And our own body, at the time of death, cannot prevent our passing. In a sense, very simple truth, simple recognitions. True for everyone. These are not just true for Buddhists, they're true for everyone. But they're also 
in so many ways and for so many and so much of the time, those very things that we really don't really want to contemplate, don't want to consider. And if we do, or when we do, how do we do that? Do we do that in a way that is actually helpful? From within samsara, it's it's so easy, if not our propensity, that even when we do turn towards things that are important and essential, so often we turn to them in ways that aren't actually helpful. And so it can seem as though the turning towards such simple truths as this itself is the problem. Better just to look away. Think about other things. And it's one of the things that I, in first encountering just a wee bit of the Dharma, (laughs) because that's all I had access to, when I first encountered it, but even in that slight encounter, noticed how the teachings, the book that I was reading, spoke about these things in very simple ways. And that's what caught my attention. That they were presented, they were being presented as just simple observances, simple things to be aware of, being brought to my attention without a heavy hand, and a lot of drama, but being brought very directly, very simply, very pointedly. And there was something about that that felt new and fresh and unexpected. And it was as though in my experience of that that I had been waiting for that for a long time in my young life. And there was something about that that drew me in. What are these people up to? (laughs) What have they discovered that comes forth in such clear, honest, open, calm expressions and invitations? I wanted to know. Dogen says, in this study, we shouldn't get overly analytical. Shouldn't get caught in too much conceptualizing. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing here. He said, but we should set aside our body and mind, let them go, let go of our clinging, and throw all of it into the house of the Buddha. Throw everything into this inner chamber. And then all will be done by the Buddha. Because we are in the house of the Buddha. And in following this, Dogen says, we are then free from birth and death and become a Buddha without so much effort or scheming. 
Maybe it's one of the great things about being human that we have to travel so very far and ask so many questions and apply some considerable and sustained effort to not take one step, to not look one inch away, to discover what has never been anywhere else, to not cultivate or develop what is already completely present and full, and to, in a sense, take our natural place with every other living thing it seems, maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> to already know how to be in this life, how to live and die, without quite so much, without quite so much. <laughs> and so, um, We'll be living and practicing together. We'll get up and do our zazen in the morning and service. And we'll, because of the numbers, we'll do, uh, have our breakfast silently downstairs. We'll be in silence through much of the morning until we gather in the Sangha house. So let's really um, both receive and give that silence. You know, think of part of what we can offer each other is our silence so that each other, everyone around us is experiencing our silence and inner and outer, inwardly and outwardly. And in that there's both presence, there's both mindfulness, and there's also the room and capacity for reflection, for things that we are studying to arise. There are different ways of bringing our zazen and the aspects of calming the mind, developing our mindfulness and concentration ever deeper, and then the understanding, the insight, the realization that comes, that can very more naturally, more easily come from that state of stability. And there are many ways in the teachings, in the practices that we do that are part of all practice-based traditions of Buddhism, particularly meditation-based schools of Buddhism, in which that non-duality, essentially, but we might think of it as an interplay between these different aspects of our meditation, which is really just our awareness, our working. And so different forms of meditation are, in essence, working with that in different ways and helping us to both bring forth and deepen that samadhi, that concentration, and our understanding. And ultimately, and not just, you know, at the end, but, but along the way, at every step along the way, to see how that is available to us, both in our sitting, absolutely, and in a sense, most easily, because there's nothing else going on, but also off the cushion. You know, those we wouldn't, shouldn't in our mind 
create the limitation or the restriction that such depths of practice only happen in our meditation. That's just not true. If we believe that to be true, then we will likely make that seem true to us. And so in the work that we're doing, some of it will be here in the Zendo, sitting, I'll be offering some words and taking that in. And there's a way in meditation of pointing directly towards something in our mind, holding it as an object of meditation. And there's a way of allowing something to just come into your consciousness, go deep into your mind, and then to let it be. Not sit with it, not focus on it, but just let it, in a sense, fertilize your ground in ways that can bring forth moments of understanding. Then or later. And so we'll have our side breakfast, we'll do caretaking, and then we'll meet back here in the Zendo at the end of caretaking at 10. And we'll spend some time, I'll offer some words, some teachings, and then we'll do some sitting, and then we'll go from here over to the Sangha house. And so when we come to the Zendo, we won't be wearing our robes, those of you, us who have robes, monastics or Samoe and Raksu, Raksu for Jakai students, so that we can just make an easy transition from here to there. Mm. And, um, and we'll be in the Zendo a little bit longer than a period of Zazen. So in those morning and afternoon sessions, take a posture that you are comfortable with for, you know, 45 minutes or so, so that we can just sort of have a continuous session in that. Mm. And then we'll go over across the way there and, um, and be able to look together in dialogue and questions, Mondo style, to explore some of these teachings that I'll be bringing forth in some of these points of Atisha, these contemplations. They are, I mean, what that means is they're meditations. There are things to contemplate within our meditation. And there is a kind of contemplation, again, which is reflection, where you're actually reflecting, thinking about, pondering. Then there is that element of practice. But then there's a deeper kind of contemplation that isn't active. It's not trying to analyze. It's not trying to figure anything out. It's more direct. It's coming from that stability of your mind, your, med- your concentration. And so in that way, it can also be a time to explore that a little bit in your meditation. How you turn your attention to some of these points that we'll be focusing on. As a way to take them in more deeply, as a way to bring them to life, as a way to help them to bring us to what they're pointing at. And to appreciate that, that in this study, all of this, all of Buddha Dharma, 
because we speak so much about alleviating suffering, which is much needed. But it's not just that. It's to love life. It's to be alive. Through and through. And to make that our offering. Give that away. To not be withholding. And the nature of samsara and our attachments is to withhold. I mean, that's what the sense of self and attachment to the self is kind of about. (laughs) Is having a boundary and living within that boundary, which by its nature is constrained. And that when we let out our light, what naturally comes forth, and with some help, (laughs) is compassion and kindness and patience and joy. And all of those with the liveliness, the energy of of our life force, our key, which is really the miracle of aliveness. It is that which captivates us when we see it in living things. It's that spring that we want to drink from. And so that in contemplating and turning towards things that can at times be challenging. Really because of our, so much because of our socialization, what we've been taught. What we find is an open field beckoning. You know, let's remember that in Buddhist practice, the way we live a life of mindfulness is by being mindful. The way we live a life of compassion is by being compassion. It's non-dual. The way we study and free ourselves of the great matter of life and death is by living and dying, which is happening all the time, but turning towards it and seeing it now. And recognizing these essential truths. So, that's the plan. We'll see what happens. And we will be joined, are being joined, by a, a August group of Sangha members who are, will be coming to us over the wire. Um, so uh, because of the sitting that we'll be doing at the beginning of each morning and afternoon, you know, as you set yourselves up at home, 
try and do that in such a way that you are in a place where you can sit and do your zazen like you would, like you do. Um, that's why I want to sit here and then go over, because what I see is when we sit in the songhouse as part of a retreat, my experience is that people don't sit very well. They just sit waiting for the next thing to happen. And so we have a lot of association with this room. It helps us to get on that seat. So we'll start here. Okay, so you do that for yourself. <laughs> okay, so again, it's very nice to be all together. It's a very nice way to be in our last weeks of Ango and to bring some of this study to a focus. Um, so thank you for coming, being here, putting yourself into this weekend, and I hope it's good for all of us. All right, so we'll go ahead and finish up.